Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. have to look around you very far these days to recognize how messed up much of our world is. This uh, coronavirus pandemic is just one of the reminders of that and political and racial tensions in our land have seemed to be kind of escalating out of control as things are also ramping up for a presidential election this fall and everything seems to have become political and estates are opening up economically and allowing people to go back to work more People are also testing positive with the virus. And, and so there's a lot of talk in the air, it seems, uh, these days as we look ahead at the next month. Uh, the question is if, if kids can and should be allowed to go back to school this fall. And there's certainly anxiety running high in some families. Uh, uh, their schedule has been turned on their heads uh, with some of those issues. And we also see, of course, in the last weeks here, minorities in our country who have been wronged in various ways in our nation's past are speaking out and sometimes acting out even in lawlessness and there are rabble-rousers out there stirring it all up and I haven't even gotten to mentioning yet then some of your personal struggles that maybe some of you are facing maybe there's families going through times of financial crisis or relationships that are falling apart some are dealing with addictions and and life-threatening illnesses that are being encountered by some of us or some of those we love. And, and this world does seem rather messed up. Human suffering is all around us. Back about four months ago when uh, we first ended up shutting down our church services here because of the coronavirus, uh, I preached a sermon on Psalm 145 entitled it, The Sovereignty and Goodness of God. And I stated how we don't fully understand this, but and God allowing what he does, but, but we know from his word that he is both all-powerful and he is good. Sometime after that, I I got something in the mail. Um, Maybe some of you did too. It was a little booklet, red cover on it here, by Pastor John Piper, and it was titled, The Coronavirus and Christ. And the little booklet contains some really valuable insights, I think, that helped me deal with this perspective on human suffering that goes on around us these days. And it pointed me to a rather interesting text I'd like to look at today. And as you listen to the verses that we're going to read here today, you might at first wonder what in the world they're talking about and what they have to do with anything that we deal with today. But I think as we look into it more, you're going to understand a bit of how God uses his, or I should say has his purposes in human suffering. So look with me today at Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And you can find it in your Bible or also there in in your uh, bulletin insert. um, There is the outline for this message and and the text printed there. Please stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, that's Jesus, uh, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, 
Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all of the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word, and, and for the teaching that you gave here, Jesus, while you walked this earth. And it's applicable to us today, too, Lord. Um, help us as we understand these situations you spoke of then, in current events then, and help us to understand what you're doing even now through human suffering around us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> As I said, then, Scripture shows us that God is both sovereign, which means that he's possessing supreme and ultimate power, and he is good. How do we understand that, then, in the light of human suffering? It means that we have to say, then, first of all this, that God is sovereign including over human suffering. And Pastor John Piper in that little booklet explains God's sovereignty by coming up with a list of things that the Bible says that he's demonstrated his power over. And the list is rather long, and he takes time to very clearly put in parentheses after each item, scripture references that show that. I'm not going to list all those scripture references here today, but I want to just quote him without them. He says this, the sovereignty of God is all pervasive. He holds absolute sway over this world. He governs wind, lightning, snow, frogs, gnats, flies, locusts, quail, worms, fish, sparrows, grass, plants, famine, the sun, prison doors, blindness, deafness, paralysis, fever, every disease, travel plans, the hearts of kings, nations, murderers, and spiritual deadness, and all of them do his sovereign will. It's quite a list. Well, if God has ultimate power over all of those things, then must we not also say that he has ultimate power over all human suffering, too? And I don't think that that means, then, that he decides each time somebody gets a cold or the flu, some of those things just happen as germs and viruses do their things and antibiotic, antibodies uh, fight back. And, and yet all of those things are ultimately in his hands. And he sets the forces of nature in motion. And we also see in Scripture that he intervenes at times. The man Job, for instance, when, when he lost all of his kids in that terrible windstorm, said this, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, See now that I, even I, am he. 
There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. John Piper calls that bitter providence. And in the scripture passage here in Luke 13, then, it gives us a couple of examples of that. Examples of sudden, unexpected human suffering and death. And so, yes, human suffering is in God's hands, but also needs to be said, secondly, than this, that, that human suffering is all a result of man's kind's fall into sin. God created a perfect world, and mankind messed it up. The Garden of Eden was paradise for Adam and Eve until they rebelled against their creator and sin entered the world, bringing separation from God and the curse on the planet. Um, and that means then on the plant and animal kingdoms. And that included then sickness and death for them and for all mankind. Romans 8 says about that, all creation groans as a result of the fall. And all human brokenness and suffering then have come about as a result of sin in this world. And not just Adam and Eve's sin, but yours and mine as well. As we're told in Romans, all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And so thirdly then, God will sooner or later bring judgment on sin. Jesus, the Son of God, talked about that. And if you look back at chapter 12 of, of Luke here, he refers to that and about the need then to always be ready for his return, since we don't know when it's going to be. And his return is going to usher in then the final judgment, when we'll all stand before God and give an account for our lives. But even before the final judgment, God does at times bring judgment on sin in this world. And sometimes that comes then in the form of just natural consequences for individual sins. Sometimes it comes on, on whole societies as it seems they have, as a whole, walked away from God and rebelled against his word and, and his laws that he gave them for their good. And so fourthly, this sin, we, we, we'd like to think, as we look around, we'd like to think that some human suffering is more deserved than our own is, wouldn't we? Pastor Chuck Swindoll says about that, he says, the promise of coming judgment brings out the Pharisee in all of us. And remember now concerning the Pharisees, who were they? Well, they, they were ones that especially that tended to point to everybody else's sin and be blind to their own. And it seems that the people that Jesus was addressing here in Luke chapter 13 were likely also thinking that way. And so notice there in verse 2 and then again in verse 4, hear what he's saying there. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans that suffered this fate? Or, in verse 4, do you suppose that all those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Excuse me. What's, what's the answer to his own question? <clears throat> he says there, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And Jesus is saying then that human suffering does not necessarily happen to the worst sinners only. <clears throat> and actually, our categorizing of others as worse than ourselves is, is really a big distortion anyway, because there is not one of us who is righteous and who just naturally seeks after God and his ways. All of us have sinned, and we are falling short of the glory of God. However, still, we humans tend 
to develop some prejudices, don't we, regarding people that are different than us. And, and some of that's rather harmless, really. You know, for instance, uh, we who are Norwegians sometimes tell Swedish jokes, or if you live down in southern Minnesota, you tell Iowa jokes. But, you know, some might be rather deep-seated attitudes that aren't so good either toward others. In the days that Jesus walked this earth, there were attitudes between different people from different areas as well. And our text mentions a couple of them. Then Galilee was up in the northern part of Israel, and about 90 to 100 miles from that is, is where Jerusalem was. And so two different groups of people there as well. Well, in our circle here, here in this congregation, we're a predominantly white Caucasian congregation, and, and we might tend to make judgments about some folks that live out in California or New York, right? Or, or some folks that maybe live very close to us and have a different skin color. And you might even think that somehow they are deserving the negative life situation they're in. And maybe we need to be called to repent of our snap judgments on some of those as well. Now as we think, though, of human suffering, um, like the examples that I've mentioned earlier, and, and, and there's three examples here really in our text, that I want to focus on. Three kinds of human suffering that come to mind. One of them is suffering because, or suffering that's brought on us and by other human wickedness. Another one is suffering brought upon us by apparent accidents. And the third is suffering brought on us through the fall's impact on nature. I want to focus on each of those here for a bit. First of all, that suffering that's brought on us by human wickedness. Verses 1 through 3 mention an example of this sin. And that name Pontius Pilate is familiar to most of us because we say his name about every Sunday when we confess together the words of the Apostles' Creed. And, and there we say about Jesus that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and dead and buried. Well, Pilate was a Roman governor who, who ruled with force, you could say. And it seems to me he wouldn't have stood for the riots going on in our cities these days. Um, he was willing to shed innocent blood if it was politically expedient to do so. And, and that's really what he did when he had Jesus condemned to death on the cross. Well, the historical record shows us some other examples of his cruelty. Um, one of them was when he had a bunch of uh, Samaritans slaughtered. They, they were gathered out at, at Mount Gerizim um, with some prophets who thought that there were some uh, relics, you might say, from the temple that were buried there. And, and so while they were gathered there... Um, he had several of them slaughtered, and that action actually cost Pilate his governorship. But here's an example here in this text. We don't know any other information on it other than what's here. But, but it seems to refer to here that there was a group of folks from Galilee then, up in the north, that had come to Jerusalem for worship, and they were offering their animal sacrifices to God as the Jewish laws prescribed, and Pilate's soldiers, then under his orders, entered that place of worship and they had those Galileans slaughtered right there in the temple and their human blood then was left there on the altar along with the blood of animals. An awful thing. Totally undeserved murder at the hands of the Roman government. Well, we have current examples of human suffering brought on us by human wickedness as well and it's been much in the news in the last month plus, that case of police brutality. 
that led to a totally unnecessary death of a black man that stirred up race protests and riots in cities all over our land. And, and that's led to more unnecessary deaths and, and also to much unnecessary and undeserved human suffering in various ways. That businesses were destroyed and, and people lost their livelihoods and so on. Those are examples of suffering brought on others by human, weaken, or human wickedness, anarchy and lawless chaos and destruction. But beyond those much publicized events, many of us have sometime in our life encountered suffering in some way, a result of human sin and wickedness. Maybe there's been somebody that has been out to do you harm. Maybe it's physically or, or in some other way. Maybe just out to smear your name. Examples of human suffering brought on by wickedness of others. There's another example here in the text, the, the suffering brought on by an apparent accident. Verses 4 to 5 there give us the example that Jesus mentions where there's this tower probably right there by the pool of Siloam, which scripture tells us about elsewhere, right there in the city of Jerusalem, and it had suddenly collapsed without warning, fell on and killed 18 folks there in Jerusalem. It's an apparent accident. Nobody planned it just happened. Probably it was due to human failure in building it or something, but it wasn't intentional. We can think of current examples of suffering of that nature as well, can't we? I noticed in Wednesday's uh, Fargo Forum, reminded us of a family, a husband and wife, toddler and infant still in the womb, who were all killed back in 2012 by a drunk driver. Not intentionally, it was an accident. But still, there is a family suffering today, eight years later, as a result. Now, did that young family that was all killed sin worse than you or I? Of course, we know the answer. There's a third type of human suffering here as well, and that's suffering brought on us through the fall's impact on nature. You look at verses 6 to 9 there. Now, we've had in the news more recently, there's a family in Dalton, Minnesota area, whose farm was destroyed in a tornado, and the man of the house was killed. Did they deserve that more than you or I? Of course not. We're all sinners deserving the judgment of God at any time. Swindoll says this, and I think it sums it up well. He says, we should not be amazed that a few people die, but rather that the majority of humanity continues to live. We can all think of all kinds of natural disasters that happen. Sometimes we call them acts of God, and, and we don't understand how God decides where he's going to send that storm and how severe it's going to be. We know he causes rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. But as we think about the three examples I've given here of, of human suffering, recognize this, in all three cases, human suffering is God's call to repentance before it's too late. And whether that human suffering is brought on by other human wickedness or by an apparent accident or, or things that we attribute really to nature after the fall, Jesus' point in this text, in all three examples here, is repent while you can. We don't know just when our time will come to draw our last breath. Somebody could strike you down at any point. You could encounter an accident on the way home today. Or, or you could get a fatal disease or find out you have cancer tomorrow. Piper in his little booklet says this, the coronavirus is not unique 
as a call to repentance. In fact, all natural disasters, whether floods, famines, locusts, tsunamis, or diseases, all are God's painful and merciful summons to repent. God's desire for every human being who ever lived is, is that they would repent of their rebellion against him and, and turn back to him, their creator, and, and, and thus escape the final judgment and condemnation, escape perishing in hell. That's his desire. And, and Jesus makes that so clear in John chapter 3, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And he goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but the world would be saved through him. But what happens to people's hearts in this mixed up world is that they get so hardened in sin that they don't even consider it wrong anymore. They, they shut out the thought of God in their minds and they live to indulge themselves in whatever opportunity brings their way. And, and they act like they can live forever and that they're, un, that they're not answerable to anybody. And so somehow, God has to wake them up to the reality that sin is serious and death and judgment are coming. And, and so human suffering and physical pain is God's trumpet blast, you might say, to tell us there's something dreadfully wrong in this world. And Piper says this, disease and deformity are God's pictures in the physical realm of what sin is like in the spiritual realm. And human suffering then has the potential to bring us back to reality to see our sin, to see our rebellion against our Creator, and to turn our hearts to Jesus for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for redemption. As we look at verses 6 to 9 here, they, they shed some interesting light on this whole text. And there we have this example of a farmer who grows figs for a living, and, and I don't think anybody here grows figs, so let me just explain. Figs are, they grow on trees. I don't know much more than this, but they grow on trees, and they normally can produce even the very first year that they're planted, um, and, and full production by year three. However, this landowner, as he's walking through the vineyard uh, with his hired help, he, he looks around, and he says, you know, I've been looking at that fig tree right there for three years, and I haven't seen any fruit on it at all. So cut it down. Why does it even take up space here? It kind of reminds me of a, an apple tree I have in my backyard. I planted two apple trees back there, side by side, um, first one a couple years ahead of the next one. And, and that second one is, um, it's, well, let's say it this way. The, the first one has been loaded with apples now for three years, had some before that, but loaded the last three years. But this other one hasn't had one apple ever. It's at least six years old. And every time I think about hacking it down, I'm reminded of this text. Give it one more year. That's what the vineyard keeper says. Just give it one more year. And so I do. Well, that, my friends, that, that, that's the heart of God. Not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Give them one more year. Give them a little longer. And what we see here then is this. God's timing on judgment is, is more patient than man's. And, and so while God waits before bringing on that final judgment, he in his sovereignty over all things uses human suffering as his call to the hearts of mankind, and he's saying, judgment's coming, but you still have this moment to turn to me. 
for forgiveness of sin in my son and eternal life in him. Will you take my invitation? Will you humble yourself and come back? Today would be a good day to do it. There's one more thing in this text that comes to my mind. And <clears throat> I have to ask this question as we think then about human suffering. We understand that God uses it to bring people to repentance. So what is God's purpose in human suffering for those that have repented and they do believe in Jesus? What's he doing when he allows Christians to suffer and to die? Well, one thing is this. He's taken them to glory. They'll be free at last from all of that there. But until they breathe their last, what about that suffering that they endure? Well, God uses that in the lives of others as well to point them to Jesus, even through their example of faith under trial. And I've certainly seen that many times. And also this, God produces good in our lives even through suffering. Piper says this, for the household of God, this suffering is purifying, not punitive. Romans chapter 5 reminds us of that. It reminds us that suffering produces endurance. And there it says, we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And, and so God then makes his presence known even in the midst of our human suffering. And we feel his nearness in those times of testing. And we take refuge then in the reminder that those trials are all temporary. And God in his mercy is drawing hearts to repent and turn to him even through these things while it's still a day of grace. And so, as you think about this, you think of your own life, you think of people you know, and I ask you, what, what's God doing through suffering, even in your life and, and those that you love? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word, and, and uh, these interesting reminders, uh, examples from history, current events, and we don't understand all of your ways, Lord. Forgive us, though, for times where we've made that quick judgment that somebody deserved that much more than we did. Oh, Lord, help us to see our own sin and, and to see your mercy and grace to us that, that you haven't brought uh, severity of judgment upon us. But we thank you especially that, that we don't have to worry about the final judgment because you've provided a way that we can have full forgiveness of our sin and, and know the promise of eternal life in heaven with you. Not, not that we deserve it in any way, but simply because you offer it and, and we see your mercy and grace and we receive it. And Lord, I pray that if there be anybody here today who has been uh, pulling away from you, who's uh, not had time for you, Lord, and has been resisting your urges. I, I pray that you draw them to yourself, that they'd see that that trial they're going through isn't something that you want to turn them away from you, but rather to draw them to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would accomplish your purpose in their life and, and that they'd look to you and know the forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, 
for, for those who are believers in you, who trust in Jesus as their Savior and, and are going through difficulties right now, Lord, I, I pray for them, that you would lift their spirits, that you'd remind them that you're there with them, that, that you will give them strength and you will show your nearness to them in special ways, even in these times of trial. And, and Lord, I pray that you would also then help them, that, that uh, they would see that you can accomplish good even in this. And, and Lord, for those who are going through times of grief today, may they know the eternal perspective that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.